We've begun uh, here uh, a series in Corinthians, in the second uh, letter to the Corinthians. Um, we're looking at it in the context of people being under pressure, God's people being under pressure, and making the obvious point that being a follower of Jesus actually doesn't mean to say you're not going to be under pressure, but it does give us a, a requirement, a call, to say, well, how are you going to deal with the pressure that you face? Some of the pressures are the ordinary pressures of life, some of them come specifically because you're following Jesus, but all of them, it's sort of like bringing them under the Lordship of Jesus and saying, well, okay, how do we make sense? And um, we just started last week um, where we, we talked about God's people under pressure uh, face difficult times. And then today I want to talk about the difficult relationships that Paul had, particularly, uh, and how he tried to make sense of what was a really simple situation that went really wrong, and that then he had to sort of work out, how am I going to deal with a simple situation that went wrong? So if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse uh, 12 through to the beginning of chapter 2. So chapter 1 verse 12 through to the beginning of chapter 2. Sometimes Paul is not simple to read. Sometimes you read him and you think, Paul, could you not have said this simpler? And I think the answer is probably he could. But he didn't. So it's probably worthwhile, once we've read it, if you've got a Bible open, it's probably worth keeping it open because actually it'll help us just sort of make sense of what Paul's saying in order that we might make sense of our situation, of the situations we face and the, perhaps uh, the calling that God has on us. So verse 12. This is our boast, Paul says. Now, let me just quickly say, when we, if I stood up and said, I'd like to boast to you this morning, most of you would go, ah, oh, he's lost it, that's it, out of here, because he's like a bad thing. But actually, in this context, a boasting in the Old Testament and boasting in the New Testament wasn't necessarily a negative thing. It was saying, I've got good things to say. I've got something that actually I can defend. I've got something that is worth telling you. So where we would sort of say boasting is just being puffed up and sort of like, you know, making a big deal out of yourself. In that context, it's not. It's a, it's a different thing. So here we go. This is our boast. In other words, we want to tell you. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but God's grace. For we don't write to you anything you can't read or understand. And I hope that, as you've understood us in part, you'll come to understand us fully, so that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. <laughs> All right? I wanted to visit you first so you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then let me, you see me, send me on my way to Judea. That's what he means by I wanted to see you and then to bless you twice. I wanted to come and visit you on the way and then I come back to you on the way back. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? 
But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it's God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I didn't return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it's by faith that you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I wouldn't make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who's left to make me glad but you whom I've grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I wouldn't be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you'd share all my joy. For I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. I'll read you on the next bit. For if anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you, to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive him and comfort him, so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you'd stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we're not unaware of his schemes. Sometimes when you read Paul's letters, you've got to, you've got to read it more than once, because it's kind of like, and I'm not really quite sure yet, Paul, I've got you. So let me help us try and make sense of what's going on. Paul is defending himself against an accusation about this visit. It's a really simple thing on one level. It was Paul said, I'll come and visit you. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to Macedonia. So I'll come to you first, I'll make, and he had to go out of his way, but I'll come out of my way to you first, and then I'll go to Macedonia, and I'll go to Macedonia, make my visit there, and I'll come back, and I'll visit you again, and then I'll come home. Really simple. But what happened was, in the meantime, there's been a problem, a big problem in the church, with at least one person who started to make accusations about Paul, Paul knows that if he goes and makes this visit, it's going to make things worse. So Paul decides, I'm not going to make the visit. I know I said I'd come, but I'm not going to come. And, uh, and he just went to Macedonia and came home again. Really simple thing in one way, isn't it? It's just, I said I would come, and then I didn't come. Now, what Paul hadn't had time to do with the people, it seems, was explain the full reasons why he wasn't going to see them. So what happened was what happens to you and I all the time. 
people had decided to give a reason why he wasn't going to see them. And they said, he's not trustworthy. They said, Paul, he says one thing, and then he does another. He's always like that. They said, you just can't trust him. And Paul, here, has to defend himself about the actions that he's taken. It happens all the time. Long time ago, those of you who know me do know that my uh, preferred place before service was, is out on a path looking for unsuspecting worshippers to drag in. Sometimes I get really excited when people come in and it's almost like I think they goad me because they smile and they walk towards the church and they go straight past. And uh, I feel bad about that. But um, a long time ago, when we weren't in this building, we were in another building. It's very strange. I, I did the same in those days too. And I was outside of church and as someone got out of their car in the distance and started walking towards the church, I just went in. It was cool. About two months later, that person came to me and said, I've got to forgive you. Now, I hate it when people come and do that, don't you? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, if they've, re- if they've thrown rocks at me, fair enough. But if I don't know why they want to forgive I don't want to know. <laughs> to be honest, I'd rather be in ignorance. But I said, what for? They said, when you snub me. And I'm thinking, I don't remember doing that. And they said, you did. And I said, when? When you saw me walking towards church and you turned your back on me and you went into church. And I'm going, it was cold. (laughs) I wonder what had gone on in that person's mind in eight weeks. I wonder the temptation of going, he's always like that. He's never liked me. He says hello to everybody else. (laughs) I was once playing squash with a pastor. Um, It wasn't Mary. I was once playing squash with a pastor. And um, we'd arranged to meet, and uh, so I I was there first, so I stripped off, and I I mean, not stripped off, but you don't (laughs) I think the word is changed. <laughs> don't want you to get the wrong idea, folks. <laughs> what was going on? Yeah, just don't think about that, Joel. Uh, just speak in tongues for a minute, it'll go. Um, <laughs> I changed and I was on the court and I was just warming up, and time went by. And I'm, I'm playing squash on my own. And the guy didn't turn up. And so I do what I suspect some of you do I start to create a story. And I start to remember things. I don't know why I'm still playing. Um, (laughs) I start to remember things that other people have said about him. About how unreliable he is. About the fact that sometimes he makes an arrangement, but he only thinks about himself, really. And I'm hitting the ball harder. (laughs) Anyway, after 20 minutes of playing on your own, it gets boring. So I thought, that's it. Got dressed, went home. And found out he'd crashed his car on the way to the squash court. How bad did I feel? You see, I I just wonder how many of you are like me. Sometimes when, it's like, I hate it when people assign motives to me that are not true. I hated the fact that that lady, it was a lady, 
um, for eight weeks had held something against me because I'd seemingly turned my back. And I had, I hate that idea. But I'm really tempted sometimes to have 20-20 vision about the motives of other people. Do you know what I mean by that? I find it really easy to judge why they've done that, even though I've got very slender evidence. But it's like I'm perfect at that vision. But I hate it when it's done to me. And in one sense, that's what's going on here with the Corinthians and Paul. They've judged him. They've accused him. And Paul defends himself. And he begins by defending himself. I want you to know, he says, that our actions have always been straight with you. We've conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. He said, verse 13, we don't write to you anything you can't read or understand. <laughs> I think sometimes Paul, you've overestimated that. <laughs> but he says, we've not tried to trick you. He says, I want you to know that we're trustworthy. And the reason it was really important to Paul was it was about integrity. What was happening was Paul was being accused of no integrity. And it mattered. Now, integrity is not the same as honesty. Integrity is where, um, it's kind of like, I am who I am, who I am, wherever you meet me. There's no splits. Integrity says that um, what I'll say here in church, in a context of worship, is exactly the same approach I would take when I'm not in worship. Integrity says, what I'll say to your face is what I'll say about you anywhere else. Integrity, essentially, is integrated living. Integrity says, you won't catch me out by saying one thing and being another, or being one thing and saying another. Being consistent with your values, wherever you are. In some ways, this kind of like, you know sometimes when we talk about mission and we talk about wanting to share the good news of Jesus with people around us. For, for some Christians, it's like the pressure of having to sort of tell people good news. Well, sometimes you have to say things about what you believe. But you know what? If you've not got integrity, then your words will mean nothing. But if at work they know you won't lie. Then actually, anything else about you begins to level up with that. I know a woman who, um, on a training course, she was a PA, and on a training course, she was being trained to be a, a secretary for a boss, and she was, you know, they had to role play something or other. And um, in the role play, the trainer was saying, well, what would you do? And she went through what she would do if she, if she was being given a difficult call and the boss was under stress. And the trainer said to her, well, you could just lie and say he's out of the office. And she said, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. Now, in one sense, it probably was the most pragmatic thing you could do. And in everybody's eyes, it made sense. Just tell them you're not there. 
But she was saying, I can't. Now, she is a Christian. Integrity says, they know I won't gossip about them. Because what is gossip except collective assignment of motives? You know that thing before when I said you do something and something does, somebody does something to you and then you give, oh, I know why they did that. Gossip is just a collective way of doing that. Like when you've run out of creative ideas on your own, you find someone else to find their creative ideas. And integrity says, I won't talk about you in a negative way about against uh, behind your back. You'll know that. Integrity says, I'll keep my word. If I say something to you, I'll keep my word. Integrity says, and if I get it wrong, I will apologize. <coughs> integrity doesn't say, it's not about, I'm always right, I'm always perfect. But integrity says, when I get it wrong, I will be quick to put it right. And Paul knew that integrity mattered. And so, when in this situation, when they were dealing with, well, you said yes, but you didn't turn up, he said, I will explain why I didn't come. Why I didn't come was because of the damage I would do. But he turns to Jesus. And he brings Jesus in. And he starts to say, surely as God is faithful, our message to you isn't yes and no, depending on who's listening to us. Our message is not fickle. Because in him, in Jesus, the message is always yes. No matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ. See, what Paul recognized was that the broken promises, if people would look at you and point at you and go, you don't keep your word, if then you start to declare, well, actually, I'm a follower of Jesus, people look at you and go, well, if you're a representative of this truth, I'm not sure I want to examine the truth. It's an easy, it's an easy jibe, isn't it? But sometimes, some people decide Christianity is not for them because they look at those who call themselves Christians. That's not always the case, but sometimes it's the case. The people that have hurt them and that have been judgmental towards them have been followers of Jesus. And they go, well, actually, to be honest, if that's what it looks like, if that's the outcome, I'd rather not get involved. Now, I don't want to put a pressure on us, but we are the agents of God's good news. We're the people who carry it. So your broken promises will lead to people wondering about the promises of God. And so what Paul wants to do is remind these people he's got problems with that in Jesus, all the promises that God has made are yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now you've got to be careful at this point because some people begin to think, well, God has promised me X, Y, Z, and actually, sometimes, often what we do is we're very quick to say the promises that God has made is that our life will go well, all will be well, everything will always work out, and we will do really great. If you read the Bible, 
that's not the primary promise that God has made you. The primary promise of the Bible is that in Christ, God is doing something for the whole world and he's wrapping you into it that you might work with him on his agenda. So, if I can just sort of go for one hobby horse, of which there are many. So when some of you go, God has got a real destiny for my life, that is true as long as you understand what the destiny is. The destiny is to be used by God for his purpose, in his way, in his world. It's not necessarily that you will be great and all people will know you and you will make the big difference. It's always God will make the difference in Christ and he will wrap me into it. But the promises that God makes, the promises of forgiveness, the promises of being loved, the promises of purpose are found in Christ. The work that God wants to be done happened in Christ. How do you know you're forgiven? The cross. How do you know you're loved? The cross. How do you know that God's not given up on the world? The cross. How do you know that God therefore hasn't given up on your family, on your friends, on your neighborhood, on our city, on our region? The cross. All of God's promises are yes in Christ. And Paul goes on. But no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ. And so through, the, through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen simply means let it be, so be it, yes. Kind of, I'm kind of sorry in a way that amen became a religious term. I kind of would have preferred it if the, all our prayers would just end up with yes. Because <laughs> I think it would capture it. It's possible. We say to the promises that God has made, yes. God will not trick you. It's God who makes us stand firm. It's God who's anointed us. It's God who set his seal of ownership on us. It's God who's put his spirit in us, Paul says. So live out that trustworthiness. In the light of what God has done, now make sure that when you say yes, you mean yes. That when you say no, you mean no. That you don't accept things that you think, well, I'll probably change my mind, but I'll change my mind later. It's the small things that actually matter with integrity. It's if I give you my word, you can rely on it. We've conducted ourselves in the world, Paul says at the beginning of this. We've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationship with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. Those of you that are in business, that run businesses, you know the value of knowing where you are with people. But you also know the difficulty of the compromise that seems to happen sometimes. Paul 
is accused of motives. He wants to say integrity is important because God's promises are always yes. Because God doesn't lie. He turns to his relationship with his people. And he says, I want you to know that alongside integrity stands this absolutely vital issue of how we're going to put our relationship right. Because what Paul recognized is you can't follow Jesus, the one who brings forgiveness, and then let it be the case that you decide there's a whole bunch of relationships I'm not going to put right. Because that is lacking integrity. I can't stand with you declaring that I have been made right with God knowing that there's a whole bunch of relationships over here that I have said I will never put those right. Now, we face difficult relationships and some of you in the room face very difficult relationships and it's easy from the front to sound glib. And sometimes the difficult relationships are a lifetime of working out the implications of the Lordship of Jesus in difficult relationships. I'm no fool. But let me put it really bluntly. You can't come and get communion and say, I refuse to even begin to pray that those relationships would be put right. It's not about going back into the same relationship sometimes. It's not about, you know, in the worst of the worst of things that have happened, it's not about going back in, but it's actually saying, I'm going to stop being the judge. I'm going to live as far as I can with restored relationships. I'm going to live as far as I can with integrity. I'm going to live as far as I can for Jesus. I found a quote from a little lady who now is with Jesus, who became a worldwide celebrity for being in one place, in the back of beyond, for all of her life. A little lady who owned nothing, but actually the world were fascinated by her. A little lady who had no power, but a lot of authority, a little lady who served the poorest. You know her so well. <laughs> It'd be lovely if I was, if you would. No, it's not. No, <laughs> but it is. Can you just, there we go. And she wrote this. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. And they did of her. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. 
It was never between you and them anyway. It's where faith, it's between you and God, is worked out horizontally. We're going to pray. Let's just take a minute. There's a number of kind of ways that you might want to reflect on this. So let me help us. Prayers of forgiveness. Lord, will you please forgive us? For the times when we thought we had 20-20 vision about other people's motivations and we judged them and we accused them and we were the judge and we were the jury and we found them guilty and then often we decided that was it. We'd have nothing more to do with them. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have treated other people Lord, we pray that you would lead us not into the temptation of acting like that. Lord, help us to think the best of others. Help us to offer grace in the moments when we assign motivation to people. Lord, may it be of grace with them. Lord, for the times when we've been hurt by other people who've assigned motivation to us. Lord, for the times when we feel we've been judged by others. Lord, when we, for the times when we feel that others have given up on us because they judged us, even unjustly. Lord, may you give us grace not to give up on those relationships. Lord, I want to pray for those of us this week that we'll be in situations where our integrity will be challenged. Lord, I want to pray for those of us who will be tempted to lie because it's pragmatic. It'll get things done. Lord, I want to pray for those who will be tempted to cut the corner because no one will see. I pray, Lord, for those of us who will be tempted to sort of Defend ourselves when sometimes we ought to confess that we've messed up. Lord, may you help us live as people of integrity. Lord, I want to pray this morning for those of us who struggle from time to time with the promises that you have offered. Lord, I pray that we will see in Christ your promises are always yes. Lord, open our eyes to the riches of the cross and the resurrection. Lord, not as a religious symbol, but as this powerful image of the way you work in our world. Lord, may we see your goodness. And Lord, I want to pray for those of us finally who have the relationships that are so broken that we have refused now to do anything about them. 
Lord, will you help us stop being the judge? And Lord, as we come in a moment and ask you for forgiveness, will you help us offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us and damaged us? Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord Jesus, I pray your spirit will come and do that re-energizing work of renewing us, of reforming us as people after your own heart, people of integrity, people who live for your purpose.